Here we are at the height of the season. You've got a few more days. If you haven't gotten my Christmas present yet, no, I meant the one for me. I didn't mean I was getting you one. Okay. But it is an excuse to wear a red tie, see? I can wear a red tie and a red shirt, no other time. Maybe Valentine's Day. Glad to be with you today. I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad if the folks online, I'm glad that you are sharing with us today. And all it is, it is a unique time of the year. The holidays come together. We've got Christmas coming up this week, next week, a New Year's. And so if you're going to get anything done this year, you better get it done and get it done pretty quick because the time is running out on you. But I uh, don't mean to put pressure on you, but well, that was the lesson last week was about pressure, wasn't it? But it is time does move forward, doesn't it? I'm looking forward and I think we'll find the day before long, won't we? I was sitting there thinking, I think we sound pretty good. At least it sounded pretty good where I was sitting. Of course, I'm the only one I can hear. No, I, I think the singing sounds pretty good in spite of the fact that we, you know, so many are missing and not able to be here with us. I look forward to the day we can sit and sing together again. You know, I, I love the singing of the church and that. And that day is coming, and I look forward to that. And it can't come soon enough for me, and I know it can't for many of us, and those watching as well as you here as well. Okay, let me give you a little preface here. This morning's lesson, I call it Born to You, taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Traditionally, I don't do a lesson specifically about the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Uh, uh, not that I have anything against the birth of Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with that per se, but... You know, I was raised in an environment where we wanted to be careful what we said, and maybe, maybe many are not. But I want, us to, I want us to recognize there's something more here than just celebrating that. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But if you bear with me, I want to go to that point this morning, not to celebrate that as a, a significant holiday or that the 25th of December was the birth of Jesus. I, I don't know about you. I, I go through the stores and I see these things that say, happy birthday, Jesus. And it just seems kind of almost crass to me in a way. Now, that may not bother you at all. And that's fine. It's just very personal to me. And I just think that almost sounds kind of crass. Because this was a significant event that well, I mentioned briefly. I mean, if all the significant events that have happened in the world from the beginning of time, this is in the tops, you know, that Jesus came into the world. But there are so many of these stories, and you get caught up in it. I do love the season. I love the, the songs of the season. And I know it wouldn't be there if, if somebody sometime hadn't decided, well, let's have a celebration of the birth of Jesus on the 25th of December. That way we can undo pagan rituals and things like that. I don't know what all went into it, but that's not what this is about. And I'm not here to be anti that in, in a way. You know, you, you, you do what you want to do. But I do want to point to that event, but I want to draw something more important from it, I believe. So if you, can, if you can stay with me through that, I think we've got it. Verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 2, familiar to you. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For it is born to, there is born to you, and that's the title of the lesson, born to you. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Sometimes we miss the most important part of this verse. 
Born to you is a savior. There's something significant taking place. So let's don't get lost in all the, the holiday hoopla or even the Christmas and nativity scenes and so forth. Let's, let's don't get caught up in all that for a moment. And maybe because of the legend of the season, there is something here about this birth and the birth of John. If you back up a little bit, you find the birth of John in the bulletin this week. I mentioned some about that. But not to get caught up in the stories, there's some things that happened here. Because when those, when those angels made their announcements, the angel came and, and announced to Zacharias that they were going to have a son, that he and Elizabeth would have a son. Or in the announcement to Mary that she would have a child. These were significant awakenings, moments of awakening. And these two babies being born. And babies being born is always a good thing, but these two babies being born were more significant than most. Though each of them only lived about 30 years in this world, their lives, each, had an impact in their time and would have an impact that would change people in perpetuity. John and Jesus both. We still think about them. We still are affected by them. I know Jesus more of course, but John, the impact that John had in his time and the things that he did in that way, we don't sometimes see it coming, but we recognize it. And I think as much as we long for something to come along and make a change, we may be a little bit like Zacharias and Mary when the announcement is made saying, what? Or to the shepherds to whom this announcement was made saying, Wait a minute, this doesn't happen every day. And they were a little bit afraid until they heard the message, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. They had to wonder what in the world was going on. But as much as we long for something to change, for something new to come along, something new arriving and the changes that it brings can be really fear-inducing in us. It can cause us to hesitate. It can cause us to back up. Because we may become so accustomed, we may become so accustomed to our situations in life, if they're pleasant, or even if they're very unpleasant, we may become so accustomed to those circumstances when, because we know what they are and adapted to them that the uncertainty of something different can produce a fear that we just want to say, no, I'm going to decline acceptance. In the story, in the, in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, Old Brooks had been an inmate for, I forget how many years. You may know the story better than me. Finally, when he is released, he found it too hard to make the changes with the new life and the new world in which he found himself, and ultimately, he took his own life. And the carved words... In the apartment where he was living, where he took his life, Brooks was here, are simply a reminder that no matter how desired a change may be, facing it can be a tough journey to begin and to, even to continue. 
So I'll go back to the point, and the point is this, something new can be really fear-inducing. And let's think about a baby coming into, into life, a baby coming into the world. And when you find out that you're going to have a baby, maybe a husband and wife along, find out they're going to have a baby, you generally have time to get ready for that baby. There are usually a few months along the way in which you start getting ready for that baby. Maybe you cry a while and say, I don't want a baby. But then you start getting everything ready, the nursery, the crib, all the, the, all the beautiful things, baby showers and all the shopping and things that go into that and the getting ready for the things. And today, I mean, the array of things that, that come in with a baby today are so large. I, I think about that before we had a child, we, Paul and I could get in a, in a moment's notice, you get in a car and you go somewhere, you know, throw a couple of things in a bag and you're off on a trip. And then you get a baby and you've got to have three cars to carry everything that that baby's got with them. I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but you know what I mean? Changes that it brings, but you have time to get ready for it. In good situations, moms and dads spend months getting ready for everything that's coming with the arrival of that baby, and they have everything planned and everything thought about. And if it's a first child, if it's a first child, and you know what I'm talking about, if it's a first child, we tend to imagine what it's going to be like. And, oh, it's going to be so marvelous. That child's going to come home, going to sleep at the right time, going to eat at the right time, never going to cry, you know. We have all these things, and, and that child's going to grow up, and we're going to be so close, and we'll never have a problem. We imagine all those things that go into a child coming into our lives, and then we learn what it's really like, and latter children, we just assume they didn't come along after that. Not really. But if not realized before the time we bring a child into our homes, when that baby arrives at home, everyone in the family that's already their husband, wife, mom, dad, you know, whatever, siblings, everyone in the family sees an altered life. Born to you this day was more than a baby, it was an altered life. A new baby. It's a celebration. It's a celebration by all who observe, even outsiders, recognize how significant it is and are affected by the child being born. If you think about it, the birth of Jesus, those, those guys that see the star miles and miles and journey, how long it took them to make this journey. Some think Jesus may have been nearly two years old by the time they make it to uh, Bethlehem. But they journey from afar. And that's not an F-I-R-E, that's A-F-A-R, you know, from afar. They journey from afar to come and see it. So people are affected in a broad spectrum in that sense. And and maybe we look around and we recognize that, that it does take more than just a mom and a dad. It does take more than an immediate family. In, in terms of effect of a child, for that child to grow and develop properly and, and to borrow the phrase, and non-offensively, hopefully, it does, in a sense, take a village or a society to raise a child. We are all parts of a community of people and of life in which we grow. And you, you think about that in the latter end of Luke 2 and in Jesus. It says he grew in stature, wisdom and stature and in favor. With who? With God and with man. He was effective. He was within a community of people. But go back and imagine those announcements. Imagine receiving the announcements of, of that John was going to be born and that Jesus was going to be born. And you think about here Zacharias in the midst of his priestly duties and an angel confronts him. And, and that's got to be a first for him. 
And an angel confronts him and says, you and your wife are going to have a child. He says, wait a minute, we're old people. We're not going to have a child. He says, yeah, you and your wife are going to have a child. Basically, he's going to be this special child, and here's what's going to happen, and here's the way you're going to conduct his life, and now it's going to be a whole lot like a Nazarite vow, we find out, in that you're going to conduct his life, and his name's going to be John. Zacharias, a little bit hesitant, ends up unable to speak because of that. Or as we read this verse, those shepherds that were there and received the announcement that Jesus has been born. And these guys are wondering, what in the world's going on? Again, another first. They hadn't had angels announce things to them in the days past, and this is going on. And so the, all of these people receiving this announcement, and then there were those people who flat didn't care. John records it this way. He came into his own, and his own would not receive him. But there were people who didn't care. And there must have been doubters about John who looked at him and looked at what was going on there. Oh, they're not really going to have a baby. They have a child. Oh, what? It's kind of an odd deal for this old couple to have a child that way. There were people who doubted John, and maybe as they saw him grow, they doubted him. And Joseph and Mary, ultimately, you recognize they go to Bethlehem, and they're not able to get into a nice place to stay. They couldn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express. They had to, even the Hilton was filled. They had to go out and stay out in the garage. Well, it was the place of animals, the stable. Probably not like the picture of most of the nativity scenes you've seen. May have been more like a cave or something like that. But they had to stay where the animals, they were relegated to a place of animals. Unusual circumstances. But nonetheless, whenever a child is going to be born, there are expectations and differences. And it it was that way with John. It was that way with Jesus. As I said, uh, they didn't understand the people around when John is born. They didn't understand why in the world they would name him John. Elizabeth understood, so his name's going to be John. They said, no, that can't be. There's nobody in the family by the name of John. We don't name a child that way. We don't name him John just because you want to name him John. No, but we're going to name him John. Ask him, Zacharias, to write it down. He writes it down. Sure enough. But think about from his name to his manner of life, the way that he was under that vow and he, things he, his diet and what he wouldn't drink or eat and so forth and things that went into that. And ultimately, as he goes out as an adult and his conduct of life is unusual, the expectations and the differences were pretty strong. They were not the same. Or of Jesus Even Mary, it says, wondered about him. You think his mother wondered about him, and the king, Herod, feared what he might bring into the world, and his hometown people, when he comes back to them, resented him. Where did this guy get all this wisdom? Their expectations of Jesus were not what the outcome really was. Luke 4, they even tried to push him off a cliff they worried about him the expectations and the differences of life were very strong but in every case in both of these cases there was wonder in Luke chapter 1 and verse 66 it says of John they wondered what kind of child what kind of person will this be And then, of course, as I said, with Jesus, you've got angel announcements, you've got an amazing star, 
You've got unusual proclaimers and the shepherds that go out and tell everything they saw. You've got a mother that's pondering all the things that are there. You've got the temple where Simeon and Anna make their testimonies and statements that were there. You've got the resentful king who ends up murdering how many, we don't know how many young male childs at that time. And all contribute to the wonder surrounding, all the wonder that was about the birth and the early life and growth of Jesus. So what I'm saying is something new, even a child coming into life, brings unusual circumstances. And John and Jesus brought unusual circumstances that that caught people's attention, that threw them off guard. And so it was an unusual time. But I want you to make a personal application. There is a very personal application for you and for me to think and to make in this. For this is more than a story about other people. I don't know about you, but I I listen to a lot of books today. I don't read as many with my eyes as I do with my ears these days, but I listen to a lot of stories, and they're just stories. I like some of those old Western stories. I like a good Zane Gray, but some even some of the more modern writers. I like Western stories and guys shooting each other and so forth. You know, it just you know, there's some something special about guys pulling guns and shooting each other. It's just really. Wait a minute! I shouldn't be telling that here, should I? No, I like some of the old westerns and all, and I know they're fic- they're just stories. They're fictitious stories. So many of them, they they they're not real. But even if they were real, it'd still be just stories. This is more. This is more than just a story about other people. More than just something to read and be entertained. This, when we read of John and we read about Jesus, is more than just a story and say, well, that's a really neat story. And yes, we look, and John's story was of an untimely story birth, an unusual but powerful and influential life in his time. It might be an epic movie, it might be an epic story in its own right. Or of Jesus. For the story of Jesus is one of initial celebration. But it is also one of frustration. It's one of tragedy. It's also one of triumph. And if, you're, if there is an epic story, this is an epic story in the 30 or so years that Jesus lived. What an epic story it is. But still, when you think about it, nice stories are just that. Until. Until they are applied to life. And not just general application, not just to anyone, but applied to life. Let me give you something that came to my mind, and you may think I've I've gone off on a weird tangent here, but sometimes things are most unexpected. In 1971, in 1971, the Dallas Cowboys had had a good football team, and Craig Morton was the quarterback. Some of you can remember that well. I was a I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, Craig Morton was a good quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. But playing behind him as a backup quarterback at that point was a 29-year-old 29, 29 Navy veteran who back in 1963, count the years back, in 1963, 
had won the Heisman Trophy. He'd graduated. He'd been in the Navy. He'd finally made his way to the Dallas Cowboys as they had drafted him. He was playing as a backup quarterback, and in 1971, during the season, Craig Morton began to have a few difficulties. Wasn't as effective as they wanted. So Tom Landry began to shuttle his quarterbacks in and out, back and forth. He would send in the play with the quarterback. One would come out, he would give him a play as the other one went in and took care of the play. And so they alternated in their plays and, and they went back and forth, but there seemed to be no real sense of who was the lead quarterback at that point. But Craig Morton was still listed as the starting quarterback for the team until late in the season, Roger Staubach was made the starting quarterback for the team. That year they won the Super Bowl to end their season. But as 1972 rolled around and the season of 1972 rolled in, Roger Staubach injured his shoulder and was unable to play. People thought, a flash in the pan. He's here and he's gone. Craig Morton resumed the starting quarterback duties and began the season and went through much of the season as the starting quarterback, and they had a good season. Some of you would know the statistics far more than I do right now, and that's unimportant, but they had a good season, moving along through their season until they got to a playoff game. And Craig Morton, again, was ineffective. Maybe his fault, maybe not. But he was ineffective, and Tom Landry decided there in that playoff game, while Staubach had been out of duty, to put him in late in a game to play that game. People had thought, he's done, he's out, his shoulder is shot. With 90 seconds remaining, and some of you watched that game I did, with 90 seconds remaining in that playoff game in 1972, if I remember right, it was San Francisco 49ers, not that you care. In 1972, with 90 seconds remaining in the, in the game, Roger Staubach came in and led them to two touchdowns to win the game. Who expected it? Till the end of his career, Roger Staubach was the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, as some of you know. Didn't expect it. Who would have thought? Maybe in 1963, when he won the Heisman, you might have thought it. But eight years later, after basically being out of football for a, in a great way to come back in, then surrendering a shoulder at the age of 29, and then coming back and playing it again. A little bit different. Craig Morton left the Dallas Cowboys. Continued to play, but left the Dallas Cowboys after that. Change can be hard. Change can be challenging. Change can be for the better. And when a baby comes into the world, that baby is celebrated in an exciting way. We do all kinds of things. Everybody smiles and thinks it's wonderful. Parents take the child home and say, boy, I wish that child would sleep tonight. I wish I could get him out of diapers. But we watch them grow, and with the challenges, changes come all the way. 
Life changes that way. I want you to know when Jesus came into the world, there was change. And beyond the stories, we need to take it home with us. As we make the application and you make it individually to you, there are three things that I want you to remember. One, he came into the world for you. Paul writes of himself in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15 that Jesus came, it's a faithful saying that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what did he say next? Of whom I am chief. In other words, he said, he came to save me. It's a very personal application. When he came into the world, it's a very personal application that he came to save me. He came to save you and he came to save me. We can make it generally came to save the world, preach the gospel to all creation, but it, it needs to be very individual as it is pointed to you. It is pointed to me. Beyond the stories, he came into this world for you. He came into this world for me. Secondly, because he came into this world, you can live your life with optimism and hope. The world, especially the Jewish world, was wondering where in the world is this? There's this idea of this kingdom. Even John was preaching the kingdom, the kingdom. The prophets of old have said there's a day coming, there's a day coming, there's a day coming. And people were looking forward and they were doubting, will this day ever come? But we can live our lives because the day did come, because he did come into the world, because he did live, because he did teach, because he did live sinlessly, and because he did die and he did rise again. We can live with optimism and hope. That's what Paul was trying to get across in the fifth chapter of Romans as he wanders his way through Judaism and all the things that went into that, coming up to Christ. And he says in chapter 5, we have a justification in him by faith. And that leads us forward. And he uses that word hope. You can live life with optimism and hope because he came. And then thirdly, because he came, you have a friend. I want to break out in a chorus. You've got a friend in me, but we'll not do that today. That would, might take away from this. But you have a friend. We sing it sometimes. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs bear exactly what he did. You have a friend. But even more than a friend, you've got an advocate in that friend. You've got a friend that will stand by you. You've got a friend who stand up for you. You've got to win a friend who will advocate for you. A friend who will plead for you. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. He says, I've written these things to you that you don't sin. And if any sin we have, what? An advocate. We've got somebody to plead our case. What a deal. We have a friend in him. Personally. He loves you. Personally. He loves even me. If you think about it. If you think about it. And you think about the teaching of Jesus. He made it very personal. Especially in those stories that he told. Every story provides the opportunity for you to put yourself in that story. To recognize yourself within the concept of what he's telling. Within the people that are being mentioned there with the, th the events that take place and the stories that he told, you can put yourself into that story. If you consider the story of the lost son or the prodigal son as an example, almost any of us can find ourselves in one of the three main characters. 
the father, the prodigal, or the elder brother. And you can relate yourself to one of them and you can learn and apply some great lessons to your life. Jesus taught and he made it personal. What I'm saying in this message is if all the hoopla and all the things that go into the season and and people recognizing this and that and, and nativity scenes and all of those things, I want us to see beyond it. I want us to see the beauty and the wonder of applying what Jesus came to bring into our lives and the change. And not to fear it, but to grab hold of it. Because friends, because, because he was born to you, you have a personal opportunity. You have a personal blessing for your life. This morning we're going to sing. We're going to sing in reminder. We're going to sing in invitation. We're going to sing in opportunity. We're going to sing because because God loves us. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. And of course, if there is someone here this morning that needs to respond, we want you to do that because God did send his love in Jesus to you and for you. And it is yours. If there's someone who needs to respond this morning, if you need to be baptized into Christ, we're in readiness for that. If you, you have something you want to make known, you want, to, you want the prayers of the church or something like that, we stand ready and, and waiting to assist you. It's a song of encouragement. It's a song of remembrance. It's a song of invitation. And if you need to respond this morning, why don't you do so while we stand and sing it together.